0: Oh, it's good night. We're so glad you're here. Welcome again to River House. I just have a couple announcements for you. First of all, if you are signed up for retreat, you, um, everyone that is signed up for retreat, your payment is due by the 21st. Is that right? Next Sunday. So next Sunday, uh, your full payment is due. If you paid the fifty-dollar deposit, you have to you have seventy-five more to pay. Um, we need that by next Sunday. Also, we have like a handful of spots, maybe four or five. I don't know exactly left. So if you want to come, it's going to be amazing. We have a very powerful um, speaker with a coming with a whole ministry team. It will be a really dynamic weekend up in Quaker Hill. You can get more info in the at the info booth. Second, uh, India. For the India um, initiatives, what we're calling it, uh, we are going to India. For those of you that don't know, uh, the trip will be centered around a three-day uh, gospel crusade in the city of Bangalore, India. If you want more information, you can talk to me, but we have applications out there, and if you have filled out your application, turn it into the info booth as well. Those close on February 1st, so and we won't be extending that because uh, there is uh, a lot of time stipulation on all of this, so... Uh, you can get all that information out there. Lastly, if you have your uh, bulletins, which you should have gotten at the door, um, if not, if you don't have one, raise your hand. Maybe Jesse or one of the ushers. You guys can get them. Keep your hands high. Jesse, can you see them? And maybe you can. All right, we got like, all right. They'll get them to you. And when you get them, you will see there's a little connection card. And we're looking, um, we're building teams, getting people in places to minister, um, building a worship team, and you can check a box. Um, If you have interest in ways to serve, you can fill that out. You can take it to the info booth as well. Sound good? Nope, nobody's listening. Okay, I'm just jabbering to nobody. All right, I'm going to pray, then we'll uh, we'll get right into the sermon. So Jesus, I thank you that we got to worship you. I thank you that you're here. And I just pray right now that you come, Holy Spirit, even more. I know you're already here. But we want more. I pray we just yield our hearts to you and we are good soil tonight to receive your word. And I pray, God, that it won't just be a, a, a message that's proclaimed, but it's a message that you demonstrate in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Uh, so this is the last, the last week of uh, this like nine-week series we've been in called Story which has basically been a a space and a time to pull out the story of who we are as a body, who we are as a church. And and I've, I've shared this basically every week, but the stories that we tell are what we use to interpret the events and the circumstances of our life. So it's very really how we process the world that we live in. Um, two people will interpret the exact same event in two very different ways based on the stories that they tell. And so uh, it's very uh, important to know who are we and what is our story. And I think that that will be a long uh, a long process, but I think this was um, our attempt to partner with the Lord to create a space for that to happen. Um, one of the pillars of this church is family. It just seems I love the whole night. It's just been Family, you can feel the love, right? You got the kids, and I don't know, just beautiful. And we really are—we're cultivating a family, and that's very intentional, very central to who we are as a body. And I think um, really central to what the gospel even talks about, and, and what Jesus came for, was his family. And so I'm gonna—I'm gonna preach a message tonight on basically why is family so central here, and why are we, you know, really exalting it as one of the core things that we're seeking to pursue as a church family. So. Yeah, does that sound good? Are we awake? I got a new Bible. Do you like it? It's really beautiful. I'm serious. I've wanted this for years. My mom got it for me for Christmas. It's from the oldest... Um, active Bible publishing house in the world at Cambridge University. They've been printing Bibles since the 1400s. So it's a hand-woven hand leather Bible. So it's my first sermon. so better be good out of this one. But if I can't find the verses, you got to give me some grace because, you know, your Bible, you know where it is, and you, like, have a picture. I have no idea where the chapters are anymore, so I'm doing my best. So our God is a covenantal God. It's one of the most amazing aspects of who he is. He's a God who is completely unafraid to pledge himself faithfully to us. 1 John tells us that God is love. In Song of Solomon, I'm going to read a few verses in Song of Solomon 8. It says, For love is as strong as death, jealousy as severe as the hell. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So not only is God a God of covenant, he's a God of covenantal love. Not just a God of covenantal love, a God of covenantal love that is as strong as death. And this is really one of the primary revelations of what he's trying to us to get. And not just know it, I know God's love, but to know it deeply. To have an experiential knowledge and revelation of this God of great love. He's not afraid of commitment unlike a lot of people, right? Including myself, there's areas where I find myself, you know, the bigger the decision, the bigger the commitment, the scarier it is, right? Because there's these certain things that you're like, wow, it's a long time, you know, how long? You know, that's why we have all these stipulations. We're trying to always kind of figure things out. But God's not afraid of commitment. And he's not afraid of pledging himself. And it says in his word that I'm the Lord and I don't change. And so when he sees his people, says he set his love on us and he pledged himself to us eternally. And that is insane, if you really think of it. That is like so bold and courageous in the way that he's unafraid to love us. He is the most bold, passionate, and courageous leader of every human heart. The way he loves is extravagant and passionate and vibrant and real. And when he says something, he means it. He's integral. Right? He doesn't just kind of flippantly say things like we do a lot. You know, integrity is so precious and valuable to him. Um, when, when he speaks to us and when he gives us a promise, like, we can take that to the bank because it's true. He doesn't change. He doesn't speak flippantly. He's, he knows what he's doing, and he does it, and he does it boldly, and he does it openly, and he covenants himself. And if you want to study, I'm not going to go into this, but there's a number of covenants throughout Scripture And it's really the primary way the Lord begins to introduce himself to mankind is through covenants. He comes to Noah and he makes this covenant. I'm not gonna destroy the earth. He comes to Abraham. Abraham is a fascinating study on covenant and he comes to a man and he comes and introduces himself through covenant, through commitment, through an agreement. Then he comes to David, he makes a covenant. Then we have the new covenant, which is in the blood of Jesus. But he's a God of commitment. He likes to commit himself. That's awesome. Because we don't want a wish-washy God. We don't want to know, like, do you love me really? Like, you know, like, is he, are you really going to be faithful? Like, how does this all work out? It's and A lot of people will argue, and you can get into it. There's different aspects of it. But really, he's an unconditional covenant-making God who just covenants himself. He chooses things, and he boldly steps out and says, here, this is what I'm going to do. And he doesn't change. And it's amazing. We always know where we are with him because he doesn't change. He's always love, and he's always good. Um, But integrity, um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a side note because um, I've been on a rant in my own life, but I I want us all to be. is We need to be as intentional as he is with our language. Um, And and I think if we want a better understanding and we want his word to mean something more to us, I think when we start realizing how important and, and powerful our words are, the natural consequence is we start realizing, oh, he's not just saying that either. Like, that's not just a nice thing to say. And I think, you know, the word says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so many times, and I, I've, I've, I find myself, and I'm, this is one of the things I really want out of my life, is people, uh, you don't want to say no to people because it's hard, right? And so you'll kind of say yes, even though it doesn't mean yes. You're not actually going to do it. Or you'll say, like, oh, yeah let's, yeah, let's do that tomorrow or da-da-da-da-da. But you know you're not really going to do it. And it's like, God's not like that. God just says, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. My word means something. And I believe he desires his people. James 3 describes the perfect man or the perfect woman as the person who's tamed their tongue, who means their yes is yes, their no is no. When we speak to someone, I want to live my life so that there's such integrity that when I tell someone something, when I make a verbal commitment, which is a covenant, they can go to the bank on it. They can actually act on my word because they know I'm going to do it. They can act before I've even done it. Because that's how God is. We can act on his promises because we know that they're true. He doesn't have to show us first. We can just act. Jesus just said, hey, Peter. Or Peter goes, Jesus, can I come on the water? He says, come. So he just acted on it. All right? Like there's something about God speaks. We can act on it. We need to be the same. Amen? That's a little side note. I'm not going to get too, too much on a rabbit trail on this. By the way, I'm not going to preach terribly long tonight because we're going to do something um, that I believe will be spirit-led at the end of this service, which is really neat. But covenant is important, and it's amazing that God loves covenant and makes covenant. And really, covenant is, at a fundamental level, it's the very fabric that forms society. It's the social fabric of society. Um, All relationships are actually founded upon covenant. We don't realize this, but we do it all the time. We make covenants, which is just basically a—it means agreement. It means commitment. It means you're creating some type of like a contractual agreement, and we do this with our words all the time. We make covenants, right? I can I do this all the time. I text you guys and I say, "Hey, you want to go get coffee?" Right, which is putting yourself out there with someone. I'm trying to I'm trying to make an agreement, and someone will text back and say, "Yes, I want to do that." And we'll say, "Okay, let's go to Starbucks at six o'clock," and that's an agreement, right? Like that's a commitment, and I can like say yes, and I can go, and I can keep it, and I will go there, because I take you at your word, right, that you're going to be there too, I'm not going to stand me up, and then if I go there, and uh, you go there, then that's like this sense of this foundation that actually created a space for us to have relationship, right, and we'll have a conversation, and we'll create like a relationship, we'll have some intimacy, maybe, maybe not, who knows, you know, but like the very foundation of it is we're making these agreements, Um, and when covenants are broken, which happens all the time, and most of the time, they happen because, well, they always, they happen because of self, right? What is the golden rule? Right, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. When selfishness creeps in, covenants get broken, and when covenants get broken, the very fabric of society actually gets ripped down, and it's not just like, Oh, that was just a bum deal. It's actually, it degrades society. It breaks down the integrity of an entire community of people. You say, how? Well, if I text you and I'm going to go to coffee, I'm, just, I'm using this because this is a very everyday simple thing, and you bail on me, right? And say you don't show up and you don't text me, right? And then I go home and I live with John and I tell John, this person Look at what they did to me. And I start operating on my woundedness, right? Then he has this prejudice about this person too. Wow, I can't believe that they would do that. They stood you up? Well, I'm not gonna ask that dude to coffee either, right? So then it creates this separate, and it actually affects, in a sense, everyone in the social network because we're a people that are made to live in covenantal community, in covenantal relationship, and we're made to live where the contractual agreements that we make all the time with our words are kept because integrity is much more valuable than just like, oh, that's integrity. You do the right thing when no one's looking. It actually, integrity builds up. It creates and establishes ecosystems where healthy relationships can be made. So covenant is vitally, vitally important. And the deeper the covenant, because you know, I'm, I was sharing a very superficial covenant, the deeper the covenant, the deeper the commitment, the deeper the intimacy involved, the greater the ripple effect of that breaking will have. And the example I can use is a divorce. If anybody has... Every single person in this room has been deeply negatively affected by divorce. Whether you even were in your family had it, but if it wasn't like it affects a whole community when one when one marriage covenant is broken. It affects so many people. It's almost depressing if you really think about it, because the ripple is huge, right? Because that was probably a bigger piece of fabric that got cut. So it's it's the it is the social fabric of society is covenant, and the big reason for that is because covenant creates union. I'm gonna say that again, because this is important. Covenant creates union. Uh, Intimacy is only possible where there is covenant. Why? Because covenant requires vulnerability, which exposes ourselves to the possibility of experiencing the deep fulfillment of intimacy What is intimacy? Into me, you see, right? I'm gonna open myself and let you come in and let the possibility of this deep, fulfilling connection take place, this union to take place. But that also exposes yourself to the converse, which is what? You guys are asleep on me. Does this make sense? (laughs) Am I just jabbering up here? What's the opposite? Rejection. Right? There is a searing pain when someone rejects you, particularly, right? The deeper, again, the deeper the covenant that's broken, the deeper the pain, right? So the reason that covenant necessitates intimacy, or the, it's the only way we're going to have union, is because we are not going to go there. We're not going to take the risk to expose ourselves unless there's some type of agreement Right, Unless there's a covenant that says, this is safe ground. If I expose and come here to this vulnerable place, I'm only going to do it if I believe you're going to meet me here as well, or at least I'm hoping for that. Right? And you say, well, people have sex all the time outside of covenant. I would actually say that's not true intimacy, and that's not true union, because you're, you're serving self. You're there using one another to fulfill your own needs. It's not giving and serving and love. Right? Like, and I'm not saying, I'm not discontinuing that there is not love. There is. There is love when people are not married. I'm sure of it, but it's, but it's lacking the true depth of covenant that requires just to be naked and unafraid with another human being, right? It requires a covenant, a deep covenant. I'm not going to go too much further into that, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? You know what I'm saying. Um, Covenant creates union, and this is so, so, so important because union is the goal of Christianity. That's a bold statement. Do I mean it? Yeah. Covenant creates union, and union is the goal of Christianity. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 17. We're going to read a few verses. There's two prayers that I deem, one is, I would say, is probably universally recognized as the most paramount and beautiful prayer ever prayed because it's the prayer of Jesus. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's what he prays in John 17. It's the last prayer, um, really some of the last words he says before the crucifixion. And it is a very, very passionate plea coming from a man who is in, a God-man who is in a lot of distress and, and on the eve of one of the darkest events in human history. And this is the prayer that he prays. And we're going to read John 17. Um, I'm just going to read verse 20 and 21. And I would encourage you to to really become familiar with this whole, this whole prayer because it's very powerful. But John 17, 20, Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, which would have been his 12 disciples that were listening, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, which is all of us, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is crying out for union. He spends. If you read the Gospel of John, one of the biggest themes of the whole work is he's saying, "I don't do things on my own initiative. I don't do things. I don't do things on my own. I'm doing what my Father shows me, and I'm speaking the words that He gives me, and I'm doing the things that He showed and that that I see." He's he's demonstrating the whole time. He gets offended in John 14 when Thomas says, "Show me the Father," and that's enough. And he's like, "Have you not seen the Father?" It's like if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because we are so deeply connected. He would retreat and go to the mountain and spend all night in prayer. He lived this life of such dependence that he just displayed God. So that, that's why he gets offended, right? But, but at the end here, he's praying, okay, my disciples, they know this more than anyone. They have seen the connection that I have with God. And then what does he pray? He's crying out his last words. This is his final parting memento. He says, God, what they've seen, make it known to them that they're a part of this. Make them one like we've been one. I want them, me and them and them and me. And it's like that big sandwich, right? But somehow we're all one, one big one, one, one family, right? Beautiful. And I'd say, in my opinion, the second most beautiful prayer in scripture is Paul. And he's echoing back the same sentiment in Ephesians 3. And he prays this. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I'm going to stop there real quick. Every family on heaven and earth derives its name. This is a family. Paul, when he's using the word name, it's more like saying the word nature. So Paul's saying, Every family has been given a name, a calling, a destiny, an anointing, and a purpose on it. Your, your biological families have, and also the spiritual family that God knits you into. It's beautiful. That's just exciting. That's not really where I'm going with this, but it's amazing. This house, this, this church has been called and named by God and anointed by God and given something that, that only we have. And it doesn't mean that other people don't have amazing things things as they do, but it's just it's amazing. God names them individually, uniquely, crafts us. the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Particularly, one key in to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge to be filled with the fullness of God. The word "know" here is the word "gnosis" uh, or "gnosko," depending on uh, how you look at it. Um, it's the same word as when Adam knew Eve. Paul's a Hebrew, not a Greek. Greeks think of knowledge. Hebrews thought of knowledge. Experiential, face-to-face, heart-to-heart knowledge. So he's praying. I, I, I'm praying that you come to this experiential revelation knowledge of the love of God that you get filled with his fullness. He's crying out back to Jesus the very prayer that Jesus is praying. God, I pray that you make us one. And Paul's praying, God, we want to know your love so that we can enter into the fullness of this communion with you. Are you following me? It mirrors marriage. The closest thing we have on earth to the union that we can have between Christ and his church, between man and God, is is marriage, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, it's not not subordinate, it's equal. And that's scary, that Jesus isn't coming back for an addicted bride, or a little girl bride, or a scared bride, or a hiding bride, he's coming back for a bride that will be face-to-face so he can love someone as his equal. That's a mystery. But the point is, union is the goal. Jesus went to the cross to make a way that union could be possible. That we could enter into the depths of intimacy with him that he's been longing for since all creation. It was the very pleasure of God... The, the, the intimacy that he had within himself was the joy that compelled him to create man in his image. The depth of communion that he has is what we were made from. That's why he walked with us face to face in the garden and he wants us back there in that place. And he is relentlessly pursuing us to see that become reality. I want to make a note. There's a difference. John 17 is also is often quoted as a passage for for unity, as like church unity. We need to be unified. We need to have church unity. And and I'm for church unity. But there is a difference between unity and union. Unity, um, when we think of the word, people think of like kind of scrap all your differences and leave them at the door and come and all be the same. Um, and it sounds good, but it really, and, and I think there is a purpose for times that we chuck all our differences and focus on what we have in common in the body of Christ and in anything else as well. I think there's times where that's really good, but that's not what this prayer is. This prayer is praying for union and union is fundamentally different. Ask any married couple, right? Cause you don't get married cause you're the same, right? Right? And your union doesn't take place because of your sameness. It takes place because you covenanted yourself to create a, 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 a space, this holy space, where true vulnerability and intimacy can take place. And it is so strong, it actually outweighs the differences so that you can be completely different and still deeply in union. Does that make sense? So there's a difference. I mean, we're not trying to create a culture here of unity. We're trying to create a culture of one of union. And what that looks like from a leadership perspective is that uh, you don't have to agree with everything that I believe. Um, there's some things that we have deemed as core values here and, and, and core doctrines, um, and they're on the website if you, if you want to you wanna look over them. And we believe those are essential for, for those are the unity things, like we need to have those things in common. But the union can far exceed um, the differences that are external out, outside. And there's a lot of different things to believe as it pertains to the gospel, as it pertains to church, as it pertains uh, to life, and all these different things. Um, we will bling, I will bring speakers in here. We're bringing um, a number this year that uh, I can promise you. I don't agree with all their theology. I can promise you. I don't think that uh, we're perfectly. But we're in union. Um, I'm in union with them, and I love their heart, and I prove that God. That what God's. Placed upon them. And so they're going to bless us. And even when Dan came just a few months ago, uh, I had many conversations of some of you were offended and I liked it. I liked that you were offended. Why? Because it makes you wrestle. It makes you get to the root. It makes you, why was I offended? Well, I don't agree with him. Well, that's okay if you don't agree with him. Why'd you get offended? Right? Like it's good. It's really healthy when you have differences going on, right? It's really healthy when you can have people that speak in tongues and people that don't Right next to each other, worshiping and not getting offended at one another. Hallelujah. That's oneness. That's union. That's not unity, though. It's really great when people that have all kinds of different spiritual gifts can exercise them differently and not compare to one another. Because that's union, not unity. We don't want to be the same. I'm a basketball player. Any basketball team, if every player chucked their differences and just tried to be the same and take the same amount of shots to the same amount of rebounds, same amount of passes, same like that team would be horrible. The best teams, if you watch them, are the teams that allow the people that have certain giftings offensively to do that, defensively to do that, rebound to do like Everyone plays their role, and that creates something so beautiful and synergistic and greater than any individual part. Amen? So we're trying to create culture here of union as opposed um, to just unity. I think unity is a more superficial level. Um, John, 5, excuse me, John 15 uh, also talks about union. And it tells us that, yes, union is the goal of Christianity, um, and union is also very fruitful John 15, verse 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Say that. Much fruit. Come on. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's using a picture of a vine and a branch. And he's keen on the place where the branch connects to the vine. And he's saying, this is what abiding is. This is is what spirituality is supposed to look like. Everything you do, all the prayers you pray, all the Bible study, all the worship, all the discipleship, all the things. It is about being connected to me. And he keys on to this like centimeter little space, right? He says, this is the hinge point of your spirituality. Are you in union with me? Because if you are, my life and my resurrection power and all that I am is gonna flow through you. And great fruit is gonna come because of it. Union is extremely fruit bearing. The natural consequence of being connected to God is fruit. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try for it. You don't even, it just happens. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. You don't have to work for it. That's the best part. Um, Marriages produce children. Obviously, that's the fruit of a union. Um, they produce spiritual fruit and spiritual children. Um, prayer intimacy produces transformation. Produces an, like right. You can go on and on and on at all the fruit that unions create. They're actually the very building block of this world. Unions. Where did we all come from? We were the fruit of a covenantal union that two people made. Right. Everything that God wants to bring into the earth, what's He going to bring it through? A covenantal union it's amazing it's so simple but we kind of lose sight sometimes marriage uh, this is the big thing that I'm, I'm getting at tonight uh, marriage is a window through which we behold Jesus I believe that marriage is an anointed instrument that God uses to create culture because it produces children spiritual children Natural children and they produce even more than we think marriages produce love they produce a posture of servanthood they produce selflessness they produce right they're all amazing things they produce they can also produce negative things if they're not connected right you can do nothing outside of connection with Jesus and I would say that applies especially so to marriage. Right? I'm not an expert. I'm not married. I'm not trying to give marriage advice, honestly, but I do know that the best way to be connected to another human being is to be connected to Jesus, and they connected to Jesus, and you become one around Jesus. I had a great talk with Aaron Holstein this week. He's was giving me a great analogy, so you can go to him if you don't like what I'm saying right now. You can email him. His email is Aaron Holstein. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> But marriages are fruit-bearing unions that are literally shaping and creating the culture that we live in. Every person gone wrong in the world, most of the time, you know, if you do the study, what happened? Painful family upbringing. The marriage, the covenant that brought him into the world ended up breaking him instead of building him or her. Um, They produce... People that produce things, they produce, they produce, they, they, they're like these funnels, they're these windows that grace just flows through. And I felt like tonight the Lord really um, just especially wanted to just speak to the marriages and the sacrament of marriage and the holiness of marriage, to how significant it is. And sometimes we forget and we kind of even, and I don't even mean at the individual level um, because I think everybody has their own priorities of where their marriage is. But I think at a communal level, we can lose sight of the significance and the priority that we should put communally, communally on, on marriage, on what it's doing. It's creating this. It's creating our culture. We say we want to be a church of family. What's creating it? Marriages. Marriages. Like, everyone has a story, and that's one of the deepest stories because it's the deepest covenant that any one of us can have in our lives. And it's a fruit-bearing union. It creates things. Um, Specifically, sometimes, you know, I like to ask myself questions that I'll answer for you guys because they're good questions that I think I would want to know if I was sitting in your spot. And I think um, the question that I post to myself as I was thinking this week is why, why is family a pillar? Like, yeah, family is good for everyone, but there's a lot of churches that that's not one of their pillars. Like, you know, what, and I don't think it needs to be either. That's not my, um, I'm not making a judgment statement. I'm simply saying, why here? Why is it so central? Why is it so infused? And you know, probably the thing that, that we get uh, as leadership more than any, anything from all the people, they'll, they'll always say, this is a family. I feel like I'm a part of a family. Like, I feel like I'm a part of a family. And it's funny because it's like, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel like that. I'm not really sure, like, why yet. Um, you know, we're just starting. We're two and a half months old ish. Maybe not even that. When do we start? November? Two months? Two months old. Little over two months old. Praise the Lord. We're like, uh, we have a bottle. We're maybe, no, we're not to bottles yet. No. We'll be at bottles soon. So, hey, we're doing great. Look at us. Two months old. We are a beautiful little baby. So, so proud of us. Um, but why? Why is family so infused into the DNA of this church? Um, and, and I would be lying if I did not tell you it's deeply, deeply personal. Um, I'm going to share honestly um, my own experience in this. And many of you have heard this, but many of you haven't. And uh, I, I walk with a limp, um, and, I, and I always will, um, because the, the covenant that brought me into this world broke and the pain of that breaking um, changed me in a very deep way and um, I've told this story maybe three times publicly and so here goes number four but um, my parents are divorced and it was a very painful hard thing and and we were believing um, particularly um, my mother and and my brothers, we were believing that God was going to do a miracle. We believe that God's a God who fights for family. You know, that God is a one who is a covenant maker, and he's the covenant keeper. And so we believed that the Lord was going to do a miracle. Um, passionately, I watched my mother pray, 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 like I'd never seen a human being pray before. Praying for that miracle. And on the day that was basically the funeral... Of my family was the day that um, my father got remarried, and I'm not again speaking any judgment against his remarriage. It's actually he's married to a wonderful woman who I have such love in my heart and respect in my heart for. And God's done. I can't even go to the whole story, but um, just don't take it as that. Um, but on the day, it was a very painful day because I had to, um, you know, stand there that day, and everybody else was festive, and it was like I was watching the funeral of the, the covenant that brought me into the world. You know, the very thing that my life, the fabric that my life rested upon. And, you know, there's a, there's a, I think it always a temptation in times like that to, to get offended. Why? Why? I've heard the miracle stories. And and don't tell me it's because we didn't pray enough. You know, like there was nothing that could, you, know, you could understand. It was why, you know, you want to get offended, but I don't know, the Lord just was gracious to me. He didn't let me go there. And I just kind of told him, Lord, like, I'm gonna stand there and I'm gonna stand for love today. I'm not gonna throw a fit. I'm not gonna make it about me or be a pity party. I said, but I wanna worship you. I wanna worship you through this day. I didn't know what that meant, um, but it was a really hard day. Um, and it was, up, uh, it was up in McCall. And uh, this is probably one of the most defining moments of my life. Um, and kind of after things, I just had to slip away and I, the only place I could get away as I went down, it was probably getting um, towards the evening and it, I went out onto a dock by myself on the lake. And I sat down because I was, I was you know, just hurting and exhausted. And I just began um, worshiping the Lord as I have many times um, in my pain. And as I begin worshiping him, all that my soul could sing is, God, I praise you that you're the covenant maker and you're the covenant keeper. And you're a God who fights for family. And I said, Lord, we didn't get our miracle. And this is going to hurt me and this is going to cost me my whole life. This is going to. This is going to steal from my children. This is going to steal from my grandchildren. This is going to, every holiday, this is going to influence every birthday. You know, because what I was made to live, founded upon, isn't anymore. And everything's broken. And I, and I knew that. I, I had experienced enough at that point to know. But I just started crying out. And I said, Lord, let me live my life and anoint me somehow that we can see I just want to live my life seeing others get this miracle so that they don't have to be here so that they don't have to be here on this dock in this pain that I'm experiencing. And it was a it was a moment of covenant between me and the Lord and I don't I don't know how to describe those moments but heaven responded and there was something that took place between the heart of God and my heart and Uh, It's very much shaped and, you know, my mom could probably share uh, as well in ways that would be evoking and and passionate. And and this is very much the cry of her soul as well. So I do not claim sole ownership of this. But that is what birthed a deep passion in my life. Um, It's the pain. It's the pain of knowing how wrong it is when the covenant's are broken. He's a covenant maker. And so, my heart in building a church and in seeking with the Lord, and it's a very vulnerable plea of mine because I don't feel qualified. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. Thank you. I just need to get these every week because this uh, snot's becoming a recurring problem. I'm going to start preaching up on the stage so you can't see me. Um, It's vulnerable trying to build a a healthy family. I believe healthy family is the kingdom. But it's vulnerable because I I don't know what that is. But I know he does. And in my dependence, it's created a lean. And in the pain and the brokenness, it's created a, a leaning into his heart that makes me so aware of my need of him so that he can flow it through me because I don't have it in myself. So it's not a... A posture of striving. It's a posture of of great dependence and need. And I'm sure that's moving. Um, I'm sure it resonates with some of your hearts. Um, And it should be. We should be a community that mirrors his heart. That passionate, burning, covenant-making God who is a God who fights for family. And I believe that with all my heart. He, he has love that is strong as death, that he will give everything to upkeep and maintain the covenant of marriage and the families they create. He has a dream, and his dream is a healthy family. That's why he created. It's why he did not give up. It's why when we sinned, it's why he came. It's why he bled on a cross so that he could have his family. And I believe uh, my cry that day on a dock was a very small and compared to the cry of Jesus. It was a, it was a me trying to, in a broken and refracted way, mirror back the passionate longing of his soul. And if you, uh, you turn, you can turn to Luke. Chapter 21, I'm going to share where perhaps this cry was made most manifest. And we're going to get a glimpse. Actually, it's it's Luke 22, sorry. Verse 19. We're going to get a glimpse of how fiery his love is for family and how passionate he is. To see us whole and protected and these covenants upke- um, upheld. And it's in the Passover at the Lord's Supper. And we we read these verses. I'm going to I'm going to read the verses in verse 19 and 20 It says. When he had taken some bread and given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body's which given for you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they'd eaten saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We read the story of the Passover retrospectively, which is fine. You know, we look back and we say, wow, like, you know, he given himself and we're going to take communion a bit. And we'll say things like, you know, this is your body broken for me. Do it. You know, do this in remembrance of Jesus. And we think, wow, the sacrifice of the cross like what he gave, his bloody and his blood. But sometimes we miss the communion experience in the shoes of Jesus, because it's even more dynamic. And if you go there, this is the night before he's going to be betrayed and taken and, and crucified. It was just a number of hours after this. And so he's there, and I can promise you, He's experiencing fear. He's not giving into it, but he's experiencing it. Nobody likes pain, and if you found out that in a few hours you were gonna be beaten to the point that you couldn't be recognized and spit on and mocked and and carry all the sin of the world, like, it's, it's the darkest, most painful experience that there ever was. Physically, yes, there's probably been comparable feats, but spiritually speaking, uh, he took the sin on the world. That's why he sweat blood and and uh, and his heart burst. Right. So he's sitting there, knowing what lies once he leaves the room with his disciples that night. And when he takes the bread and he takes the wine and he and he says take this in remembrance of me and my body take this my blood they don't know what he's doing yet but he does he's pledging himself he's covenanting and he's saying i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go to the death i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to the cross He's, he's committing before he ever does it. He's, he's, he's pledging, he's vowing that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to experience the brutality and the full weight of what humanity can punish. I'm going to take it for you. Nothing is going to keep me from having my family. I'm going to covenant myself to death so that I can have my bride, so that I can have my my family it's the most beautiful act of love that ever was he's a god who fights for covenant he's a god who fights for family he's a god that will give it is over his dead body that he will let us go that he will let us fall he will fight to the bitter end, tooth and nail, to see families created and upkept and, and passed on. And it, it's it's the burning passion of his heart. Amen. And so I believe that as a church, we should mirror and reflect that passion and be a community that fights for family and contends for the covenants that are in our midst and sows into them and prays for one another and truly. You know, does this together. We're not alone. It takes, a you know, we say it takes a village to raise a kid. I think it takes a village to have a healthy marriage. I think it takes a village to have a healthy family. I think it takes a whole people saying, I want to be a part of this and I'm going to sow into it with my time and my life and my prayer. Right? And specifically, I believe that marriage needs to be honored. And I believe that when we honor the marriages important to marriages uh, we lifting them up and when we lift them up we will be able to gaze through them and see the very face of jesus because they are the closest thing we have to what union looks like with our king amen